0: welcome back it's another episode of the benchmark podcast i have here my friend my brother from back in west orange high school days the director of communications of the washington football team sean DeBarry. how you doing today man
1: i'm good man thanks for having me
0: appreciate it thanks thanks for taking time out of your schedule to hop on um what for those that don't know what exactly is the director of communications like what is your job what does your job entail
1: well i essentially i'm the middleman between the media and the entire organization so if any media member wants to talk to anyone from the owner all the way down to you know a practice squad player they have to submit a request through me Um, me and my department we handle you know media training facilitating interviews for all the players we handle all the statistical research we have keep the team record books Um, and then we obviously work with you know whoever's broadcasting our game that week this week we have Fox so you work with the you know the TV crew make sure they have everything they need um, for the broadcast and then I mean ultimately it's just being you know the media trainers for the entire team from you know quarterback all the way down like I said, the last the 53rd guy on the team, the coaching staff, the front office. Um, we're just kind of, you know, the the spokes, the spokesman for the team per se.
0: That's a lot on your plate. That that's a <laughs> lot on your plate right there.
1: Never a dumb moment.
0: Hey, that sounds a lot. That's entailed with you and that it's definitely obviously a serious job. And you are in contact obviously with a lot of the players and then all the way up to ownership how was that experience for you? Like, what's the, what's the best part of your job?
1: I would say the best, the best part is just, I mean, I just like the the atmosphere. Like, you know, you're working with the best of the best in their craft, you know, the people in the front office are the best scouts in the, in the world. The people, you know, on the field are the best players are the best, some of the best athletes in the world. The coaches are some of the brightest guys and, you know, the, the owners are the owners are one of 32 guys who owns a team. So I just like you know working with people who are at the top of their craft and being able to you know teach them a thing or two about media and you know um, the best feeling for me is when you bring a player to an interview and you know you give them the talking points or you know you, you give them some some ideas of what's going to be asked of them and you know that that question's asked and the player leaves that interview saying hey you know what like Appreciate you prepping me on that. Like, you know, I didn't fumble my words and I didn't create a headline.
0: I can imagine so that that's helpful. We see that a lot of times, you know, in like movies and stuff, but never really, I can say at least for me, didn't know that was the job that you're doing. You feel me? Like nobody knows that's the title of the job. They just see it in TV and movies. Um, Has it ever been a situation where you, you know, you prep somebody and they go off, off script, like the person interviewing and how do you go about handling a situation like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, half the job is having a good relationship with the media. I mean, you have your local beat writers who, you know, here we got Washington Post, the Washington Times, NBC Sports, Washington, the Richmond Times, Dispatch, um, you know, some local blogs. Uh, There's about, you know, five or six newspapers. We got like four or five TV stations that cover us on a daily basis. I mean, you sort of know, you work with these guys every day, so you can sniff out agendas and stuff like that. But I mean, usually, unless the the reporter asks a really unfair question, you know, you can't get mad if they ask the tough questions, because it's our job to prepare the player. Now, if if you're setting up like a one on one, where the report, say the reporter says, hey, I want to talk to, you know, Landon Collins about his charitable efforts. And he tells you that's going to That's just what the whole interview is going to be about. And then halfway through, he starts asking him about, you know, social justice issues or, you know, a fine that he had. That's somewhere, you know, after that interview, I would, you know, pull the reporter aside and just be like, hey, listen, you know, that wasn't part of what we agreed to. And then, you know, the the, the beauty of the job is we have all the power. We don't have to we don't have to grant one on ones to media. All the players by the league rule, the players have to be made available once a week uh, during the practice week. They have to do network production meetings and they have to talk after the game. So other than that, everything else is up to them. If they want to do it. They can do it. That Those three things are the mandatory things that you have to do or you get fined by the league. So, you know, if people, if, if media members go off script and they try to, you know, blindside you, we just don't give them access anymore.
0: That makes sense. That's, that makes sense. Basically, you know, you, a lot of times people might try to do stuff like that but it's it's a negative in the end because they could be denied that access to even have that opportunity um being that they got to go through the 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 communications anyhow to even get the outside of the you know what's mandatory for the players
1: yeah and it's all I mean if, if you're just transparent and you're a straight shooter with me um you know you're good in my book coach Rivera too is the same way you know he's a pretty he's a pretty media friendly head coach to work with you know he's He's been coaching in the league for almost 35 years. He's very well respected. And, you know, he he grants a lot of access. He does a lot of interviews, which makes my job easier. But his his golden rule is trust and, and transparency. So, you know, if he he's gonna do more than your average head coach when it comes to media, but if you burn him or you know, you do, you know, you tell him you want to talk about something and you you blindside him, he remembers all that stuff. And you know, I remember all that stuff. And then going forward, if we have 10 requests that week. And two of them for, were from guys that, you know, burned them on something. They go to the bottom of the list. So just how it works.
0: Makes sense. Um, speaking of, situations like that, like you mentioned, Coach Rivera is pretty easygoing when it comes to, you know, having access with the media and one of the easier coaches. Being that you've been on a couple of teams, what is the hardest part of your job? What's the most difficult thing that you face?
1: Yeah, the hardest part is probably, you know, balancing, you know, when there's big, big issues, you know, like this offseason with, you know, our name change, um, you know, some of the issues around, uh, you know, social justice, because I mean, the players, you know, the players have to use their platform, you know, to do it's their personal platform, like they're they're the they're the star athletes, they can use their platform for whatever they want. But at the same time, you have to balance what's good for the team so a lot of times you'll have to you know have a back and forth with players about you know they're really outspoken on you know a certain issue and you know you sort of got to meet in the middle in terms of you know what your organization is trying to do uh, in that sense and I mean also just with like their frustration like the the toughest thing for me I think is going you have when you have to go into a locker room after a loss and I mean the guys still have to talk you have to talk after a winner you have to talk about a loss so I mean if if you lose 40 to 0 to Dallas you still got to go in there and convince these guys to talk a lot of times they don't want to talk and you know it's your job to you know convince them so i would say that's probably the toughest the toughest part is one when there's really really sensitive issues in society or you know in the league is just kind of you know working with the player to help help them shape their shape their message where they can get across what they want to get across for their personal platform while also taking into account, you know, not creating a distraction for the team. And then the second one is just, you know, working with the guys after tough losses. I mean, I've had times where, you know, you got to go in. Adrian Peterson has a big fumble to lose the game. You got to go in and tell him he's got to do media and prep him. Um, and I mean, it's happened. You know, Dwayne Haskins has a tough game. You got to go in, you know, go through some stuff. And you know, you know, you're kind of bringing him to an interview where everyone's going to be asking him negative questions, and it's mm-hmm. your job to sort of get his mind right, make sure that you know anything that you think is going to be a curveball or a low blow, he's he's prepared to answer. But you know, it's not enjoyable going into a locker room <laughs> after a loss and having those conversations.
0: Yeah, it's definitely somewhat it sounds like it's a balancing act and you're an integral part in the players and how they respond and how they go about expressing what they want to express on whatever the issue may be. Um, Yeah,
1: and the good thing, thing too, is like it's the fun part about that, though, is like when you work with some of these players year after year, you know, you see them at the lowest of the low, but then when they have that huge game where they throw five touchdowns, you're still the guy that it's you know it's cool to see like throughout the course of a season the flow of like man like you know after that Minnesota game Dwayne was you know down in the dumps and you know it was it was tough to get him out to the podium and you know prep him and then you know when he comes out and has a comeback winning against Detroit and he's in the, everyone's celebrating in the locker room so that's a cool part too you see the highs and the lows and each season's unique and it's it really is kind of like a journey there's it's like it's a roller coaster.
0: Yeah, you mentioned with the, the, you know, the team name change. What's been the, uh, obviously, I'm not in the Washington, D.C. area. What's been like the perspective of the area and some of the players, like, are they on board with the name? Is it, you know, expected to change? What, what, how has it been in Washington and with the players?
1: The interesting thing with the players is I don't think they really care. Like they just want to play, to be honest. Like, you know, a couple of them like Jonathan Allen, De'Ron Payne, even Chase Young, and they were like, Hey man, we're just trying to, you know, we don't care what it says on our helmet or our jersey. We're still trying to just go out and ball out. So I think the the players the players, I mean, they want they want to look cool, you know, they like the numbers on the helmets this year. Like I, you know. I mean, I wouldn't say they're like, you know, ecstatic about the name, but they don't really, you know, they don't really care. Like they, they like, you know, representing the DMV and representing Washington. So they like that, but I would say it's a bigger thing with the fans. You know, you have some fans who are probably happy that, you know, the distraction of the debate on the name is over, but you have some fans who, you know, they, they grew up as little kids, you know, rooting for the Redskins. And like, that was their favorite team. Like the logo is iconic to them, the name, And, you know, for some of those fans, I think it's going to be a big adjustment. But, you know, it was interesting for me coming in because I didn't grow up a Washington fan. So, you know, I came down. I I worked for the team for two years when they were the Redskins. You know, you learn some of the tradition and, you know, the Hall of Fame players they had and Coach Gibbs and everything. And it is is a passionate fan base, but um, I think it will definitely be an adjustment. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you win, that's what puts the fans in the state in the (laughs) stance.
0: Yeah, I think winning would cure all of the anybody that has any issues with the name yeah they win we'll, they'll get real used to the Washington football team very quickly Absolutely. Um, for you I remember from back in high school you've always been around sports you've been in locker rooms was this always a part of what you wanted to do to actually be in communications and working with the NFL or could it have been anything else
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like like you know, man, like there's no energy like a locker room you know, after a win or you know, just that camaraderie too. So I always enjoyed that, and I always enjoyed being involved in you know competitive atmospheres like that. Um, and growing up, my favorite sport to watch was football. You know, my favorite sport to play was basketball, but my favorite sport to watch was football. So um, you know, getting into it, I think it was just that. You know, I I, I was always. I was more like a better writer than like math so you know once i got to school i tried to figure out what paired well with writing and um sports and i didn't really want to be a journalist i mean i i respect what journalists do and you know i think it's it's a commendable you know trade and a craft like you know those guys work really hard but just like the the day-to-day of just you know putting out stories didn't really i don't know it just didn't click with me so once I got to Rutgers, you know, I, um, I started interning with our sports information department there, which uh, it's essentially the PR department for the university's athletics program. Through that, I just started working different sports, worked football, basketball. And then uh, through that, I got that internship with the Giants. And then getting in there and seeing how a professional team operated and, you know, getting in the locker room there and working with, you know, some of those icons like Eli and Odell and Victor Cruz. Um, I was hooked, man. So I just, you know, I just kept grinding away, you know, doing internships, taking, you know, one year assistant jobs. Um, I bounced out to L.A. I did a a year long assistant job out there. Um, And then that ultimately brought me and got me the opportunity in Washington. So, yeah.
0: Being from Jersey, um, how does that affect your fandom? Uh, Jersey, I know you, you giants at heart. Yeah. How is it being that you're working for a team in the division? As you said, you didn't grow up being a Redskins, a Washington football team fan. How is that um, that aspect? And how was it working for the team that you love growing up? You get to get an internship with them and be up and close with, which a lot of people in the tri-state area view Eli as a god. How was yeah.
1: that? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm. I'm blessed to have gotten to work for like my favorite team growing up to start. Cause that was, I mean, that was like a dream come true. You know, Eli Manning, Odell, Jason Pierre, Paul, Victor Cruz, you know, Tom Coughlin, I was there for his last year. You know, they're like you said, I mean, they're legends in the area and they're guys I watched as a little kid and I'm there, you know, shoulder to shoulder with them working. Um, the one thing that's funny though is, you know, you really do realize like I remember my first, like my first day, in the Giants facility, when I, like, saw Eli Manning, I was, like, starstruck, I don't know what to say, and then, like, you know, you see him every day, and, like, you just realize he's just another, he's just another guy, I mean, he's he's famous, and he's a star, I think, but, like, you're sitting in the cafeteria, and two tables down, Eli and Odell are eating, like, they're eating the same food as you, they're sitting there, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, some of that stuff wears off when you're around them so much, and then, I mean, the interesting thing is when you, when you work for a team and you know, you're with these guys every day, like that's the team you like, you know, you're part of the team. So like, I remember when I went to LA, it was Sean McVay's first year. We were like five and two and we played the giants in week seven or week seven or week eight. Mm-hmm. And that met life. And I traveled The, the team let me travel with them. Um, Cause it was the, you know, where I grew up and, my former team that I worked for. But I remember I was like standing there pregame, like on the sideline, like looking around with my Rams pinned on. And I'm like, man, like, this is crazy. This is the stadium I've came to as a kid. And like, I'm on the visiting sideline and we ended up winning that game 51 to 17. Jared Goff threw like six touchdowns. It was a crazy game. And I remember just like, I didn't care that the Giants lost at all because my team won and I was, I got to go on a flight back where everyone's celebrating and like, I remember running off the field, just looking up like, wow, man, like this is like, this is crazy. And then even with Washington, like we went back there in 2018 um, and Adrian Peterson ran for like 150 yards. Uh, He had two touchdowns and like the way it works is after a game in 2018, I was the on-field contact for PR. So after the game, if your team wins, the sideline reporter gets an interview with one of your players. So Pam Oliver came up to me after the game. She's like, if you guys win, I want AP. So what you have to do is the game ends. You have to tail your guy as he's, you know, going through and, you know, dapping everyone up. So whenever it was AP, it was crazy because every opposing player wants to talk to AP and meet AP. So I remember like, I'm like with Adrian Peterson, a dude who like I drafted like first in in fantasy when I was in like fifth grade. Uh- with this dude, he's got a, a Redskins jersey, and I'm a, I'm work for the Washington, you know, team, and we're going through, and him and Saquon Barkley, you know, meet at midfield, and they like you know dap each other up, do a jersey swap, and it's the same thing, man. I'm like, wow, like I'm like, you know, I never thought I'd be in this spot right now, but it's crazy. I'm standing next to AP. I work for Washington now, the division rival of the team that I grew up, you know, rooting for, and we just won, and it's it's crazy, but yeah, I mean, it's. I still respect the Giants franchise and, you know, they are a really well run operation, you know, the Maras do a really good job there. Um, and I appreciate them for getting me started. And, you know, I have good memories of rooting for them as a kid and seeing those Super Bowls. But, you know, when you're, when you're in the building every day with Ron Rivera and Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young, those are your guys now, like you win and lose with them. So it's, uh, that's the one thing I would say, if you're, if you're like a super fan of a team, you shouldn't try to work in sports because the jobs are so limited. The odds that you're going to work for that team are slim. So yeah, the fandom kind of wears off. So now, now baseball and basketball, I'm still, I'm still nets and Mets, but the giants, the giants fandom has worn off a little bit.
0: <laughs> um, I can't even imagine like I'm a Lakers fan. If I was able to work in a Lakers organization, how surreal that would be. You feel me? So shout out, to you for being able to, to do that that's dope um, and be able to put it put it aside, you know there's a lot of people that you see commentators and they know, they let it be known now i'm still i'm yeah. a cowboy forever, and they will be biased as heck so shout out to you for being able to differentiate between the two um, in this process, who has been like some of your mentors and some of the people that have helped you really shape and mold your career
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a good one too. Um- you know, that crew at the Giants was great. You know They have a guy there by the name of Pat Hanlon. He's a senior vice president of PR. Uh, he's been there since 1993. My opinion, one of the best, if not the best PR guys in the league. Uh, the guy under him is a guy by the name of Corey Rush, who's a vice president of PR. Um, he was kind of like Odell. He would work primarily with like Odell, Eli, and Cruz, like the star players, and then mm-hmm. This guy under him, Dion, along with myself and um, another lady, Jen, would kind of work with the other players, and then Pat would work with ownership, general manager, and head coach. So Corey and Pat are two guys that you know. I mean, the New York market is the hardest by far to, to do public relations in. So if you can do communications or PR in that market, you can do it anywhere. Washington is is up there. It's probably a, you know a top six market, top five market um, in terms of you know, size of the media contingency, you know, uh, the personalities in the market, the amount of national coverage it gets. But, you know, having two guys who've done it at such a high level with the Giants in New York, who I can always call, you know, even though they're division rivals, they joke with me, like, you know, if you call me, like, I'll give you advice. It's, I'm not going to give you any game plan or anything. But, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, my boss from the from the Rams, too, his name is uh, Artist Twyman. He, uh, he's worked for. Houston Texans, the Seattle Seahawks, and then he's been the head guy at the Rams since 2002. So he's another guy's, you know, a phone call away. The time difference makes that a little hard sometimes, but he's another guy. And then, you know, the, the cool thing with with PR in the, in the NFL is it's kind of like a like a little bit of like a fraternity, sorority thing. It's, it's such a small group of people. Like each team has between three to five people. So, you know, every year at the Combine, uh, we have an annual, you know, PR meeting where every team's PR staff comes, comes in, and, and, and they have a big meeting. And then, like, it's people like you interned with, like when a, the guy the guy I interned with the Giants works for the Giants. There's a girl I interned with at the Giants who's with Atlanta Falcons now. The guy I interned with with the Rams is with the Saints now. Um, we worked a Super Bowl. Uh, we worked a Super Bowl in Houston when it was Patriots Falcons. And we ended up, you know, we got like an Airbnb with some guys. The one guy works for the league office now. Other guys with Baltimore Ravens. So, like, it's, you know, everybody kind of bounces around. And the more you're in it, you know, the more people you meet. And that's that's the cool thing to me is, you know, when you when the schedule comes out and you're like, oh, wow, like, we got, you know, Cleveland week three. I get to see my guy Dan. Or, you know, we got we got the Giants week eight. I get to see Corey and Pat, you know. That's the cool thing to me is it's like, everybody, everybody's kind of in it and the job is similar. You work with different players and different coaches, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky to have, have some good mentors in the NFL and I'm lucky to be, you know, I'm relatively young in comparison to a lot of these guys, but, you know, I have enough people that I interned with who are still in the league where I pretty much probably have at least, you know, one person I'm somewhat friendly with at every team.
0: That's great to you cultivated relationships, um, which is needed, you know, in the success of any field to be able to have people that you could turn to that have been doing it longer and to get advice. So that's huge. Um, And I'm pretty sure you could uh, attribute that to your success and your continued success. Um, Like you said, this is your third year with them. I'm pretty sure you could speak to the difficulty of getting these jobs and actually keeping these jobs. Cause like you said, it's three to five pretty much on each team and it's not, it's not per se like college where it's a billion more teams. It's only a small amount of teams in the NFL. So, um, within that, right. So you've built relationships with, a lot of these people that's doing the same job with you. What about some of the relationships you've built with the players? Like I've seen you posted about AP who no longer is with the team, but you said he was a consummate professional and he was one of the best people that you worked with. What are some of the dopest like athletes you've been able to work with? Mm -hmm. Um, And even that's maybe misunderstood. Like I know Odell, Mm a lot of people that actually end up meeting him say he's actually a pretty cool down to earth guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, you see – when you get into the locker room, you see these guys, how they truly are. You know, a lot of these guys put on a show of who they are in the public. Um, you know, just going through, I guess I'll go through my career and talk about, you know, starting with the Giants, some of the guys. Jason Pierre-Paul was always a guy who was great to me. You know, like, there would be times where I was a young intern then I'd go in the locker room and, you know – there was a couple of, I don't want to throw any players under the bus, but there were some players, you know, who would be, they would just be assholes, man. Like they'll, you know, they'll tell you you don't belong in here. You're not a player. Get out. Like, Again, you'd be going in there to do a job. Like your boss tells you, Hey, go in there, you know, get, get Eli to sign this Jersey for this kid you know, go remind Shane Vereen he's got to do this radio interview and then go tell Justin Pugh that he's got to come out and do this thing for social media. So you're going in there with a purpose. Like, you're not just going in there to, like, hang out. And, like, we go in and some players will give you a hard time. JPP was always cool. He would just, you know, he would stick up for me. He would, like, tell the other players, you know, to shut up. He belongs in here. You know, he's, he's grinding. Um, Eli was always great. He's an easy guy to deal with. Um, just watching him and, like, the – the poise and like, you know, he he was always just even keel. He never got too high, never got too low. You know, you'd go in there after, you know, on a Monday after he threw five interceptions and he's the same guy as, you know, after a big win against Philly or Dallas. Um, So those are two guys in New York. I really enjoyed working with Odell is cool. He was just, he, he was, when I was there, he was, it was his second, my first year was his second year there. And I was there for his third and fourth year um so you know that was kind of the part of his career where there was a lot going on and he became a superstar so quick he was always pretty cool with me you know there he'd have his days where you know you could tell a lot was going on and he, he might snap at you but the other thing you got to realize you can't take this stuff personally like you don't know you know like you got to try to like monitor it if like you could tell a guy's having a bad practice you might not want to go up to him right off the field you might want to wait till he showers cools yeah. down to ask him something but Odell was fine Um, with the Rams Todd Gurley and Andrew Whitworth were two guys that were awesome man. they were stand up guys they actually um, I was only an intern I was like a a seasonal assistant there which is like the step above an intern you get like a one year contract Mm -hmm. and you you essentially work as a full time staffer but like you're not promised a job the next year so I was out there making like man it was probably like, like 12, $13 an hour, but like you made over, you made a lot of overtime. Cause like the the hour you work like 90 hour weeks. So like, it was, it was a decent, you know, it's enough to live off of, but like, you're not like going into LA to like the nightclubs and buying a table. <laughs> like So, um, it was week 16 right before Christmas and our boss called us in and he's like, Hey man, um, he's like McVeigh uh instituted this new thing called employee dues and he's like essentially what it is is all the coaches and players gathered together and they said you know we want to give the support staff christmas bonuses so like throw some money in a pot you know you could choose someone individually to give you give money to you could give a a department money so there was this envelope and it had a check in it and it had a, a sheet with all the players you know, who gave you something individually, all the players who donated to your department and all the players who donated to the group as a whole. So I opened it up. It's like a $5,000 check. And Todd Gurley gave me $1,200 straight to me. And Andrew Whitworth gave me a thousand. And they both wrote like a nice note saying, I still have it framed to this day. Like, they're like, hey man, like, you know, you're in here early. You're, in, you're, you're one of the last guys out. Like we see you grinding from afar. Like here's a little appreciation. So, like, that was really cool because, like, you know, I'm just, like, a guy. I'm going in there, like, setting up some interviews, like, you know, cranking out notes and transcripts and, and press releases. And I would always go work out, like, after practice. Um, and you don't realize, but, like, you know, they that actually, like, made an impact on them. Like, they saw me in there, like, real late, real early. Um, so that was real cool. Sean McVeigh was awesome to work with. He was a great guy. Um, I really, you know enjoyed being there for his first year and seeing like the culture he's building there um just a super personable guy I mean he he may have only remembered my name because we had the same name but he was a guy like, he'd always call me by by my name he would ask me you know how my weekend was the one time I told him I was in Santa Monica he's like hey if you're ever at this you know this place the bungalow down there drop my name I know this guy at the door so he was he was super cool and then like
0: I, I think they need to have that at all businesses in america that's just dope like employee dudes to you yeah. know, to show the true appreciation and then people like sean mcveigh to be able yeah.
1: to have it, that. like it's such a good thing for the for the culture there because like after that it get like invigorates you man like i'm like these guys like appreciated me i just got you know more money from one check than i have making you know almost two months and you're going to work the next day, like ready to, like, I'm like, man, I'll work like a, I'll work a 16 hour day tomorrow. Like I'm pumped up. Like it's like the appreciation like that goes a long way. That's, I think all successful companies, you know, should implement something like that because it really, you know, if you're, if your entry level employees feel like they're appreciated, the work is going to be a lot better. Yeah, exactly. um, and then in Washington, you know, AP was great. You know, to make a long story short essentially what happened was when I got hired in Washington I was the number three guy on the staff Um, after the 2018 season the number two guy on the staff left so I got his job so I bumped from number three to number two and then my boss uh, left in week four of the 2019 season so I went from being a number three to a number one essentially running the whole department and it was guys like, you know, Adrian Peterson, Vernon Davis, um, Alex Smith. You know, he was going through his injury, but he he was around, you know, those veteran guys really, you know, took a liking to me and, and helped me in the locker room with some of the younger guys. Like, it helps if you go in as a young guy and you have to convince, you know, Jonathan Allen or, uh, you know, Deron Payne to do something. And they say no and that you have AP. Behind you saying, like, hey, man, like, listen to this dude. Like, he's not just talking to talk. So, having those vets um, there was real big. But AP was a guy, I mean, that guy's just, he just treats everyone with respect, man. Like, what really stood out to me was like, he came in there, guy's the first bout hall of famer. He's probably, you know, a top three running back of all time. And he just doesn't act like it. He treats everyone from the janitor to, you know, the owner with the same amount of respect. He's just a stand up guy. And, Um, you know, he, oh, he, I've never had one issue with the guy working with him for two and a half years. And what was crazy was, uh, a week before he got released, he actually came over to our spot where I, where I am right now, me and my, my friend have an apartment and it was my friend's birthday and AP just rolled through and kicked it with us for like three hours. We were just, you know, watching TV, playing video games. We ordered food. He's like that type of guy, man. He's just like, you know, that's dope. He doesn't think of himself as like a Hall of Famer. He's just a down-to-earth dude. You know, if he thinks you're cool and, like, you're not trying to, like, you know, take Snapchats of him while he's sitting on the couch and, you know, you're just – you're just hanging out with him because you're his friend. You know, he'll treat you like that. So he's probably the biggest one in uh, in Washington um, that I clicked with. So, yeah.
0: That's – that's the greatest part of working with people – that per se have fame and status, even at regular jobs at the, the CEO of a company and they treat you with the same respect that you, it makes it easier to work at this place. It may like you said, you're invigorating. I wanna go through a wall for this person, for this coach, for this CEO, because they appreciate me. And I, you can know that, hey, I'm not per se the biggest piece to bring success to the company, to bring success to this team, but you appreciate me, that goes a long way. And if you got the the per se lowest person on your totem pole, busting your butt to, you know, help. Imagine then the highest person per se and you got the same work ethic, that same culture from top to bottom. It only produces success. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. How has it been with this season with COVID and everything? Um, I know it's comp- it's really different. We talked about it a little bit before we started the show. How has it been with the traveling and everything like that? You know, the NFL isn't in a bubble, so how is it with NFL and COVID?
1: Yeah, man, it's been it's been a crazy, crazy year. I mean, it, we had the combine in February, so we go out there and it's life's normal, and then you know everything changed probably two weeks after that. Um, you know. Just everything's different. I mean, all the interviews have to be on Zoom now. The media members, when they come out to practice, they have to get screened. They can't be in contact with the players in person. Um, I mean, the draft, like it was a virtual draft. So like, I mean, I I set up probably – 20 interviews for Chase Young before I even met the guy, <laughs> you know, like we, we drafted him and I, I literally call him on the phone. I'm like, Hey, you know, this is Sean with Washington PR. I'm gonna be your, you know, guy with the team. We got this, this, and this for you. Um, you know, he gave me his manager's number and I would coordinate with him through the offseason. But it was like, you know, we're working with the, you know, we signed Kendall Fuller from the chiefs. So I'm same thing. I'm like FaceTiming the guy like, Hey, we got to set this up, but <laughs> I don't know you I never met you. So that was that was an interesting part. And then um, just there's so many, you know, you got to be so careful. It was like dude, that practice, you know, all the photos that we take, you know, you got to look through them to make sure like, you know, no photo shows something of us breaking or there's, you know, there's just so many rules, so many guidelines, um, you know, and even just normal day, like we have to every day we have to get tested. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you drive in, we go to this trailer, you know, they do the nose swab come out, you get a contact tracer. It's this thing you got to wear on this watch and it tracks your movement throughout the building. If you get within six feet of someone for more than five or 10 minutes, it starts beeping. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to wear your mask all the time. It's, you know, it's it's crazy. And I mean, the, the players, I would say there's less, there's less media this year from a, from a perspective of like, they're not in the locker room. It's not open locker room setting, but, you know, it's just, so tedious because you know you'll have practice will end right you'll have your main zoom podium in our studio where coach Rivera will do his presser so I'll be with him Charlie on my staff will have to bring you know some select players up to a side podium you'll have another zoom set up in there Jesse on my staff will you know she'll bring guys you know someone will have to do a one-on-one zoom you have to set it up on your phone like the amount of devices you need and space is it's just crazy. And I mean, all the TV stations still want their one-on-ones, all the reporters don't want their one on one So there'll be times where practice will end and we have 15 media requests and there's only three of us. So you got to hustle around, you know, you're getting this guy on this call. Sometimes the players will try to duck and, you know, they'll try to hide from you. Like you got, you're playing like hide and seek trying to find Chase Young to get him on this call at 310. He's got to do another thing at 320 and like, you know, you gotta coordinate with the with the with the producers, with you know, the reporters. So it is a lot, it gets hectic, but it is fun because it's fast paced and you know, it's it's a good feeling when you sit back after the day and you're like, wow, like all right, like all the guys got their interviews done, no one said anything stupid. Ever the reporters are happy, the players are happy. Yeah. How has
0: it been for the the players? Like, are they more receptive in regards of they don't have to see them in the locker room, the media, or?
1: Yeah, I think they they like that. But, like, I think the Zoom stuff is getting, like, annoying for them. You know, it's just getting, like, monotonous. But, you know, we just try to not overdo it. Like, you know, Ryan Kerrigan, um, he won NFC Defensive Player of the Week, and we had him do, like, eight or nine interviews last week. And then this week we're like, you know what, let's give Brian a break. So we didn't give we didn't put anything on his plate this week. So that's the other thing, you know, you got, you kind of have to balance because you don't want to like take advantage of a guy who will always say yes, just so you don't have to talk to the player who's going to give you a tough time. If you do that, you're not doing your job right. So it's just, you know, you got to value their time and, and, you know, don't put them on something that isn't worth their time. I mean, the only reason you should be putting a player on an interview is to get a message across or to, you know, Get more notoriety for their brand, so I'm not gonna you know make Chase Young do a 10 minute interview for you know some blog that you know gets like 50 50 clicks on it. You know he's only gonna do the top local stuff, the top national stuff. Um, same with Dwayne, you know Charlie and my staff handles Dwayne's requests. So that's sort of what it is. It's like balancing, you know, the players' time, their relationships with certain media members, while also not you know, wasting their time and putting them on with outlets that it's really just not worth it for them or us to have them on it.
0: Makes sense. Um, And I'm sure the players appreciate, you know, your role in that and doing to make sure, like you said, the week before, Kerrigan had eight to nine interviews. Hey, this week, let's peel back, maybe not have more so many interviews, which I think obviously factors in them playing well also because it can get – Yep. Obviously, I'm not getting paid to do this, but it can, I can assume, get tiring doing so many interviews, yeah. especially when it's just like you love the sport. You just want to play the sport. I've heard a lot of players, I just want to get back to playing the sport. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that comes with you're getting paid these big bucks. You got to do some of these interviews. So, yep. I think that's for you, um what is like the deciding factor for you when it comes to? either you're going to stay with a team, you're going to go to a different team, like what are some of the deciding factors when choosing a team to work with?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's all the opportunity. I mean, like I said, you know, there's usually three to five spots on a staff, depending on the city. Um, if you really want to do it, I mean, you have to do a lot of those internships. I mean, like I said, some some of them you're making you know minimum wage you're making just enough to live and have a little bit of money but you know you kind of have to hop around like for me I did the three years in New York and then I got to a point where they're sort of just like you know you're not gonna you're not gonna grow here like you know the the senior VP ain't leaving the VP's not leaving and the other people were young and they were like I'm not leaving anytime soon so you have to look around the league and be like, "All right, like, where's a spot I can go where there might be somebody about to leave, or where's a you know another market that'll give me you know the right experience to be able to hop, you know, to an opening? Because mm-hmm. there's really only each each offseason, there's usually between three to four openings throughout the whole league. Oh. So you got to think you have you have about thirty-two interns from all thirty-two teams, all trying to get those spots. Um, And it goes back to what you said about, you know, networking and making connections like I got the Washington job because my boss, Corey at the Giants, and my boss, Artis, the Rams, had both worked in Houston for this guy named Tony Wiley, who was the head guy in Washington. So when Washington had an opening, Corey and Artis called me. They said, hey, man, like, listen, you know, Tony is, you know, we've worked for him. He trusts us, you know, more, you know, more than most people in the league. Like, we told him, like, you're his guy. It's between you and one other guy. So, Mm -hmm. Tony called me up. He said, hey, you know, Corey and Artis spoke highly of you. We're going to book you a flight, fly you into Ashburn. You're going to interview with some people, and we're going to fly you back, and we'll have our decision made, you know, by Monday. So, they flew me in on a Saturday. I interviewed with Bruce Allen, who was the team president at the time, Brian LaFamina, who was the head of business at the time, They gave me a tour of the whole facility. I met some of the players and some of the coaches. Um, And then I sat down for my interview with Tony and he literally was just like, Hey man, like I'm not an interviewer. Like I go off recommendations. He's like my top two guys in the league, both said, you're the guy. So that's all I really need to hear. he's like, if you got any questions for me, you can ask, but if not, Mm you head to the airport. So I was like, man, I'm walking out there. Like I got a good shot at this. So that just goes to show, man, like your references and like, the networks that the people you work for, if if you do a good job in an internship, your boss's network becomes your network because your, your boss there is going to recommend you. So for me, I grinded it out at the giants and the Rams in these, you know, number three, number four positions. And those guys thought I did such a good job that their networks, you know, opened up to me and that ultimately those two networks collided. And the guy who was hiring in Washington, you know, was in that mold so that's the biggest thing is take advantage of where you are currently and you know just give it your all and I mean references for me I mean we had an opening for it was like a PR assistant this year and we opened it up we put it on teamwork um literally just minimum wage role uh the the girl we hired works probably like 50 hours a week we had it up for two days there were 560 applications for it like it was insane and then you got you know like we're going through it, and it's all good candidates and like the the, what i would always go right to is the references call the references and that's kind of how we weeded it out and then it came down to we had like five finalists um but that was like an eye-opener for me i mean part of that too i think is because of covid and there's so many little jobs in sports right now but I mean, we had it open for less than 72 hours was 550 applications.
0: Wow. That's, that's a lot. And to have to go through all of those, I can't, can't imagine on that, but that speaks to your character though and your work ethic um, for them to be able to that, like you said, that becomes your network. Now it mm-hmm. still falls on, um, it still falls on the individual. Are you going to put the work in? Are you going to be, like you said, like AP, are you going to be a person of character, of honesty and, you know, reliability and do your job? So we always hear it in in sports, the first person to come and the last person to leave, but it's the same in the work field. If you're one of the first people to come, one of the last people to, to leave, it leaves such a good impression on the people that are watching you. And like you said, you didn't even know, Talk early and they, they watching, you didn't know they were watching and it paid off. You get a, a bonus not expecting it. So that's a testament to your character right there. Um
1: yeah, and the way you the way I look at it too is like, you know, you got you've got people who, you know, if you you know, there's a there's a line of a thousand people behind you who would want that job. So, you know, if you slack off and you're not doing good, there's there's plenty of people who want the job. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Especially in the sports, sports arena. It's like you said, it's so hard to get a job uh, in that arena, especially tri-state area, DMV, those bigger markets, 500 plus applications on teamwork. So yeah. last, last thing before I transition into, you know, some basketball and some baseball, cause I saw you, you posted, you already mentioned you were a Mets fan. Got to ask you a little bit about your Mets. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give somebody trying to either do the same job as you or get into the sports arena? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good one. I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice would be just try to get an internship first because you may think it's what you wanna do, but until you really experience it, you won't know. Like with an intern last year who he was from George Mason and like this guy, you know, he said his whole life, all he wanted to do was, you know, work in in, uh, in sports media and he wanted to, you know, work for a team. This kid got in here and like by week three, I could tell he was checked out. Like, and you know, it, he didn't like how monotonous it was of mm-hmm. like, you, know, you play on Sunday, you come in Monday, you work on your weekly release, you get your packets ready to send to the broadcast. Wednesday is the big media day. You got the coaches, press. it's like, you know, it's really like, it's a very similar week each week. It's just a different team, different storylines. And I had the exit interview with this kid and he was just like, Hey man, like I appreciate this opportunity, but like, I know this isn't what I want to do now. Like, like hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to do this. Like it's, it's kind of boring to me. And I said, I, I respect that man. Like you, you don't know until you try and you don't know until you talk to people who do it. That'd be my biggest piece of advice would be if, if, you want to do something, find people who are there and reach out to them on LinkedIn, you know, try to shoot them a note. You know, some people are just gonna ignore you. But what I've found is I would say, you know, six, seven out of the ten, you know, will at least respond in some some sense and give you some piece of advice. You know, I always try to do that when students or younger kids looking for jobs reach out to me. I always try to give them a little bit of my time or try to, you know, give them some advice. And, you know, more times than not, I think people are going to do that. So that's what I'd say is is talk to as many people who are in the spot you want to get to and try to do your research and figure out if it's what you really want to do. Because the thing with sports is when you first get in, the money's not great. You really have to work your way up, you know, to make a salary that, you know, you're going to be able to, like, enjoy and and live a good life off of. Um, And it's time consuming, man. Like, you don't really have – in season, you don't really have much of – a social life, I mean, like for me, we work, we probably work 14-hour days, Monday, Tuesday, 12-hour days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is probably 11 hours. And then if you're home, you have Saturday off, game day is like a 16-hour day. And then if you travel, Saturday is a travel day. So you work Friday, you go home, you got to wake up Saturday changing your suit, go fly to the other city. You get there. I mean, that part's that part's not fun this year because we can't go anywhere besides hotel, but that's normally the fun part. You get to go to a, you know, a different city and you have a night out there. But I mean, other than that, it's, it's really from, from training camp in, in last week of July all the way to, you know, January 1st. And if you make the playoffs, it goes through January. It's a grind, man. You really got to like it and you really got to love it. And, um, that'd be my other piece of advice is, you know, if your heart's not in it, it's not, it's not, you know, a field you should pursue because of how time sensitive it is or not time sensitive, but how much time it takes. And, you know, that coupled with, you know, the internships and the entry-level jobs you're going to get, you're not going to be making much money. So it's more, it's more, you're rewarded early on with like the experiences of it and, you know, getting to travel to different cities and seeing stadiums and working with, you know, top players who you grew up, you know, working with. But hey, you know, everybody gets to that point where you got to make, you got to make money.
0: (laughs) Of course. So definitely, I think that's good advice. Uh, The internship, try it out. And like the person said, it might be another part of the organization that you want to work with. Maybe you don't want to do media. Maybe you want to be working with the cameras or you're going to be working with the scout team. It's a, it's a lot of different, it's not that many jobs, but it's a lot of different venues to get into working with sports. Everybody loves sports.
1: There, there was a kid with the Giants when I was my first year there. He was the full season intern. He did a whole year and he decided he wanted to do scouting and he did a good job with the PR internship. So my boss went to Jerry Reese, the general manager at the time and said, hey this this kid's a really bright kid. You know, he's a hard worker. He wants to get into scouting. And Jerry Reese ended up giving him a low level internship. That guy is now an area scout with the Giants. So, there you go I mean it's you know he, he he got in the building and he he didn't want to do PR but he still did a good job and you could tell he's a hard worker and he transitioned into you know a part of the organization that he wanted to do and now he's an area scout so
0: hard work communication um, building relationships all key all vital yeah. transitioning uh, get you out of here uh, again thank you for your time we have here with with me right now Sean DeBarbie thank you again for your time um transitioning you a Mets fan what are your thoughts on the new owner that y'all have though Steve Cohen I think (laughs) I'm envisioning because he has such a deep pocket it could be something like the Clippers in regards of he'll put money into the organization
1: I hope, man. We need something. I'm telling you, we're we're the most tortured fan base in baseball. It's just miserable. I don't know. You know, I blame my dad because he's a, he's the reason I'm a Met fan. I'm like, man, it's easy to be a Yankee fan. You got all the championships. You know, ever since you know, we're, I'm 26. Well, you're 27. Our whole lives in 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 North yeah. Jersey has been good, but yeah, man. Hopefully, Steve Cohen gets in there. It's actually funny the the guy who lived with uh, Charlie, my roommate, he uh, he worked for the Mets at one point, so. He told me some some inner workings of that organization. I think I think, you know, an ownership change was, was was needed in that in that uh, with that team. So hopefully he could pour some cash in, we'll get some big free agents. I mean, we got good young talent, man. We got, you know, Pete Alonzo, Conforto, Rosario, DeGrom. So we'll see. Sign some big free agents. We'll be competing with the Yankees, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I I think that's why I think because of his his pockets, that should help. In regards of getting the bigger free agents, because that was the, always the biggest thing that they would say about the Mets, they were cheap and they wouldn't pay for the bigger names.
1: Um, Torture so. the fan base. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I a little bad though because the Wilpons got they got ripped off by Bernie Madoff. But that was a a, a huge factor in they that. They got of money. They sold their team for two billion dollars.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it, it kind of worked out for them. Um, Steve Cohen paid. Um, the Nets they have just signed recently Steve Nash um, they was able to get to the playoffs this year riddled with injuries um, they still got in was in the bubble you saw Karis LeVert do his thing um, some of the younger pieces played well what is your thoughts on the Steve Nash hiring and the future of the Nets um, do you see as a Nets fan that you guys could get a championship in this three-year window possibly
1: I hope so, man, because we kind of went all in on this. I mean, the way – the thing that makes me nervous is the way I feel like Kyrie and Durant made their contracts is, like, it might not even be three years. I and mean, they have opt-outs. So, like, if it's pretty much these next two years. And if they're not feeling it, they're going to just dip. So, you know, we went all in. I, I like Nash because, I mean, I feel like Durant and Kyrie are – they're tough personalities to work with. And I think Nash being a former player and, um, you know, I think he'll be able to manage them, but we'll see, man. They got some good pieces. Dinwiddie's good, you know, Levert, um, Jared Allen, you know. They got some good young pieces. We'll see. And, you know, I mean, it's 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 cool to see Kyrie just being from the town we're in and, you know, you I think you you, you, yeah, you were at Roosevelt with him one year, right? Or two nah, years? I
0: came the year after he – Gotcha. He, yeah. Gotcha. I came the year after and everybody's like, yo, Kyrie was here last year. And then, you know, he was supposed to come to West Orange. You
1: know, I remember Mr. Atzma, the coach, was saying that he thought Chauncey Orr was a better player than Kobe.
0: Yes. Mr. Atzma to this day, to this day, every time I see him, he be no, nah, I
1: think Kyrie was better. At the time, though – Now, yeah, now he says that. At
0: the time, he loves some Chauncey Orr. <laughs> I can't lie. This is my first year. I lived in West Orange, but my first year actually in public school in West Orange was eighth grade Roosevelt. Coming there, Chauncey was the greatest thing since, in Mr. Atman's words, since sliced bread, white on rice, the best thing ever. Chauncey was was that guy. And we all thought being on the team, I didn't see Kyrie the year before, but we all thought being on the team Kyrie was Chauncey was going to the league. We we all thought Chauncey was going to the league, but um, that's the West Orange roots for those that don't know. That's, (laughs) that's West orange talk right there. Um, But thank you again for your time, man. I appreciate it. Uh, Best wishes on everything and success, you know, on your future endeavors and with the team. I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm not gonna even attempt to tell you. I hope the team does does well, but I hope you do well and continue to uh excel at your position, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Hey, when, when I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, right, I got to go on. I was a bench mom in West Orange High School, man. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for
0: sure. Throwback, again, me, Matt, Ed, yeah, bench mom. Yeah. yeah. Good times, good times, but enjoy the rest of your night, man. I appreciate it again, yeah.
1: Hey, man, appreciate you having me on. All
0: right. Hey, next time – uh, I know you're scheduled busy. Whenever we get you in the area, we got to get you in the studio for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I usually try to make it up there in the off season. Um, you know, usually sometime in February, March. Um, then I usually go up for like 4th of July. So, yeah, All right.
0: Right. We'll, we'll connect, you know, whenever you get back over in this area.
1: Sounds good, Antonio. Good. All good right, man. Peace. Yeah.